Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. After Dark, a podcast about Riverdale that's taking you back to the 1950s. I'm one of your DJs, Alex. Hey, 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 when you have fun all day, you don't even see the darkness because you party all day during the sun. And then when the sun goes down, you go to sleep because After Dark is not a good place to be. Pep, pep, pep. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. <laughs> and we are going to be talking about Riverdale Season 7, Episode 2, Chapter 119, Skip Hop and thump, and as cleverly teased by our intro here, we are fully back in 1955. This episode, here's what you need to know in terms I don't know of the how recap. clever it really was. But oh okay. my god, it was, Pete, you was your idea. I've ever heard. It was your yeah, idea, Pete. Uh, you, you You've been texting us for hot. seven days, being like, "Hey guys, what you should do? Don't do the Riverdale After Dark thing you normally do at the top of the podcast. Instead, do a really, really well done." Uh, like old school DJ thing. And What's like, cute oh, is yeah. you think hey. I think about you after this microphone turns off. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was the sickest bird you've done it all the time. It's quite some podcast. time. Yeah, I'm feeling that. I need to take a breath. <laughs> well, let's give a little bit of recap, although you actually don't need much for this episode for real this time, because after the first episode wiped out the last vestiges of our old school Riverdale, the thing that we've known for the first six seasons. Now we are fully in 1955. Everybody is their classic Archie comic book characters. The main things that you need to know off the episode is that Archie is trying to court Veronica Julian Blossom, who is now the current brother of Cheryl Blossom is also trying to court Veronica. Kevin and Betty are dating, so that's probably important to know, and Kevin is obviously closeted and having some problems with that. Cheryl is also closeted and even more closeted than Kevin, one might argue, and just Mm. met Tony in the last episode. Things start to heat up here as we get into that. And all, not all of the characters, but a lot of characters who are dead are now back alive. Everything has been pretty much rebooted. Principal Featherhead is now the principal of the school, played by the guy who previously played Warden Norton. And we saw him in the background last episode. We talked about this on the last podcast, but we more fully meet the new character being played by the actor who played Francis DuPont in an earlier season. Now he is Dr. Werther's 
who I don't know what his job original. is, but he's, he's uh, the original dude, doctor. Those original. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. He's a shout out to Dr. <laughs> Wortham from the Comics Code, which plays in big in this episode. Yeah. But a lot of stuff being remixed that is going on here. Um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of all you need to know. I can't believe it. Shucks to that. It, it is crazy because it's been a it's a reset. So yeah, mm-hmm. we're in full. Well, before and, and this we went is, on, I Justin, was, I, I wanted to ask you about this. You said that it was surprising that this was the second episode. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, obviously they had to establish the timeline and Jughead losing his memory and sort of sew everything up um, in the first episode. But this felt like the real reset. Mm-hmm. This is where we're seeing really where we're at with these characters what the underlying passions are, what the outward passions are, setting up a lot of stuff and sort of taking our first step from this sort of um, biblical Garden of Eden where there's like everything is perfect into darkness there. Because I, I, that, that was one of the, my takeaways from this is it feels a little bit biblical here where these characters are in their like pure, innocent forms. But they're also without knowledge. They don't have knowledge mm-hmm. of themselves. A lot of them, they don't have knowledge of each other. They're not being true to their feelings. And then we start to take a step at the end of the episode with what um, happens with Ethel here. And we get our first steps toward the darkness that plagues Riverdale throughout all of the seasons. Ethel's yeah. back. Uh, Ethel is back. Also, Ethelhead is back in this episode, which was a big surprise yeah. for me. My main impression to jump off of what you're saying, Justin, and I thought this was a great episode. This is great like episode. watching a alternate universe where Riverdale was the show everybody thought Riverdale was going to be. That it's like exactly oh. that it's the straight Archie Comics characters hour-long drama, so you get some more dramatic situations, you get some sort of like meta-tweaking of it, but it's not as over-the-top, insane, dark, sexy as the show was right for the first episode. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and we get Ethel, we get a thing that happens with Ethel that we'll talk about at the end of the episode that definitely twists things back towards classic Riverdale, but... I thought that was great. Like, obviously, we love Riverdale. We've been talking about it for 119 episodes now, but it's really fun to see it in this way where people, it it could have been something else, and this is what they're showing us right now. That's very cool. It, yeah, it's it's agreed. tough. It kind of when we're talking about our kind of impressions of the second episode, this is it's it's hard for me because it's like I know this is the last season, so I'm trying to like cherish it all. But it's also like I have this countdown in my head of like there's only so many eps mm-hmm. till the end. Like I want to get them mm. to the Riverdale that uh, I know and love. Right, the fast paced, cracked out, like what the fuck is going on moves that the Riverdale that we kind of are are used to, like this has been such a kind of nostalgic, fun, what if 1950s thing, which is, which is interesting. It's been very powerful at times and very meaningful in other ways and cool. We get to kind of play with the timeline, but I'm also like, yeah, but we're close to the end here, guys. We got to, you know what I mean? So it's hard for me to enjoy it. I think is I'm I'm a little bit uh, stressed about it. I think you should try to enjoy it as much as you can because this is always – this is the plan. This is how they're spending their last episodes. These are the statements that these creators that we've loved um, and loved all of their decisions all the way from the beginning to Barchi. Disagreed um, with nothing, yeah. 
disagreed with nothing. I think, especially as a group, the three of us, um, like three great 1955 radio DJs. Yeah. Do we, you guys um, really quick want to do the warm up that we do before we tape the podcast, where we all say we agree at the same time? Let's do it yep. real quick. <laughs> One, two, three. We, we agree. There it is. <laughs> oh yeah, Pete. Thanks for saying that too. It was much quieter than the rest of us, but I, I appreciate. Yeah, but we got it. Yeah, it's we in got the can. It. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I mean, to the point that you guys are saying, and, and to you, Pete, specifically, I think to contradict what I said before, a lot of this wouldn't work if we didn't have that history over six seasons. I'm thinking very specifically of Shoney, very specifically of Barchi, I mean, that these scenes, obviously Shoney, the yeah. stuff that like we know from the comics a little bit, maybe Shoney a little bit less than Barchi, but there's something about like, they're not doing the lost thing where... Betty and Archie start dancing in the middle of this episode and suddenly they start to have flashbacks of their real lives or anything. And I'm kind of glad they're not going that route, at least now. But that would not have the weight if we didn't know Betty and Archie got to a place where they wanted to be married. They wanted to have kids with each other. And now they've been separated. They've forgotten each other. And now here they are coming back. And yeah, but was that all real? You know what I mean? Or was that not? No, everything you know I mean? happened. Like, that's the thing is that everything because counts. you think that's a, a part of their timeline, but I don't really consider that real. Because no, but it I is because like- we, and I think that was the function of having the Tabitha Jughead stuff in the first episode, even though it was this weird, mangled sci-fi thing that I don't think you should pull on too much or it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But Tabitha essentially <laughs> being like, no, you're not in the afterlife. Nobody's dead. This isn't a, you know, a different thing. This is the same timeline. I just shunted you all back to 1955 and nobody has their memories. You know, that's what it is. So like they are the same people. They still have these feelings between them. They just don't know each other in the same way. And yeah, it's like, it's like they've taken the characters and everything still matters. It's just, they've been distilled down sort of like empty vessel ver- versions of the characters that we um, know and love. And so we got to see how they're going to sort of be refilled in this new timeline and where it's going to take them. And there's a lot of exciting possibilities on the table, I thought, especially in this episode and some specifically. Yes. Well, let's talk about that. Do you want to jump into, uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of, <laughs> you want to jump into Shoney. Justin clearly wants to jump into Barchi. I of course want to jump into talking about comics, the main plot of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a hero up top. Yes. The man with pep. Yes. Well, uh, let's talk about that because that is the plot thing. We got to delay talking about the ship stuff where we'll be arguing, I'm sure, a lot towards the end stuff. of the episode. Um, so what we get from right at the top is this mission statement from Jughead where he says the popularity and culture impact of comic books in our time cannot be overstated. Pete, I thought of you. You probably felt very seen in that moment. Yeah, I mean it was it was nice. It's it's it stinks that it <laughs> happened after Jughead got his mind wiped and this is kind of like the I'm getting used to this new Jughead and it's kind of like uh this adorable f- uh, kind of like uh, not quite Jughead, Jughead. So, uh, so there was a lot happening emotionally. But yeah, the things he was saying were really great. I just wish he didn't fold as soon as he walked in the uh, comics office and someone offered him a job, and then all his kind of like uh, logic went out you, the window. Wouldn't you take the job, your dream job? Well, hold on. Before we get into it, just a brief overview of this plot. Yeah. So, 
Uh, Jughead is obsessed with comics. He's reading the stuff from Pep Comics, which, by the way, was Archie Comics before Archie Comics was Archie Comics. They were called Pep Comics. They exist in Riverdale. They're publishing in Riverdale. They are publishing horror comics mostly, which of the time were much more popular than superhero yep, comics. Accurate. Superhero comics were out. And Jughead thinks one of his stories is stolen, so he marches over to Pep Comics, demand that they give him some money or publishing credit or something. And the publisher is basically like, look, we get a thousand ideas. Your idea is not original. Come on. But I'm always looking for writers. Jughead volunteers to write for some, uh, write a story which he does. He says he'll put Ethel's name forward as an artist, which he does, and uh, she ends up drawing it, and the publisher is like, great, and they do it, but by the end of the storyline, and not to jump too far ahead, uh, Ethel gets shut down by her parents, and then something happens. She also gets shut down by the principal and Dr. Werther's Something happens, and then the last shot we see is at the sock op at the end. Ethel is stumbling in, covering it blood, covered in blood, and says something terrible has happened. So yeah. something happened in the middle there that was very bad. We'll obviously have to tune in and find out. But the majority of this comic book storyline, I got to say, Pete, very accurate to the creative process, which I thought was pretty great. I really loved how Jughead, you know, was uh, sticking up for Ethel and letting her get credit. And her art was amazing in this. This was really great to see. It was just so heartbreaking to see everybody trying to stop her from living her dream. So it was uh, it was awesome and then heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, I really like this as well. Uh, this new Jughead is is like the comics Jughead, where he he really likes food. Mm-hmm. And he is like a little bit of a goof and he's mm-hmm. a little bit off on his own, a little bit reclusive, but not in that dark way. Just in like he's a guy that has his own interests. Like there was a line later where he's like decent spread cookies and whatnot. Yeah. Which I was like, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's classic uh, Jughead. So like that you're was saying. Cool. And uh, yeah. on a similar note, after he sees what what he thinks is a stolen story in Pep Comics, he goes over to the school and his friend group is clearly Ethel, Ben Button and Dilton. And as a fan of the comics, I got like a little thrill from that, like a little uh-huh. electric thrill of like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, it's all the nerds hanging out with each other at Riverdale High. This is classic comics come to life. It was very fun. Uh, Agreed. That was very cool. And then the way that the story sort of spun out with uh, you have the Ethelhead stuff, which I think we should talk about, Mm -hmm. which is interesting uh, because Jughead seems not at all into it. Yeah. What for goofs? And then the look to see her like, oh, it was heartbreaking. I was like, oh, well, I think. I love that, too. Like, I love the romantic stuff going on here because I don't think Jughead was shutting her down. I think Jughead is just he is the oblivious. Exactly. Oblivious comic book Jughead. I'd be interested and I don't think they can go this route. And uh, I will say they're not going to go this route. But certainly when I was watching this episode, I was curious to see if they were going to go asexual Jughead like what was established in the comics. I thought that would have been an interesting twist for them to do, given this clean slate here. But clearly, if this is the same Jughead that we've watched for six seasons, it's not. So they're not going to do it. So he's just oblivious. But yeah, Shannon Purser killed this in this episode. Just like like Pete saying, her look of hope and wanting of Jughead. It was so pure and innocent and... I don't know. I kind of came out of the episode being like, oh, I want this to work. I want to see Ethel head happen. 
Yeah. Though I will say, I think another. There is <laughs> I like, like your long, yeah, dramatic pause. <laughs> yeah. Uh, rooting the Jughead in the comics is a way to look at it, but you could also look at it like he his memory is white, but he still is in love with Tabitha. So mm-hmm. of course he's not going to be interested in another relationship because that's where he doesn't know it, but he has satisfied that feeling. I believe. Uh, potentially. I mean, I think that depends the problem on... The is he has his mind wiped, so how does he know that he was in love at one But has his heart been wiped? I think that's an open question. I'm hoping that that's where we're going, because that leaves an opening for other mingling of relationships. You know, some of us are pulling for other ships here, buddy. Well, that's going to be an open question, and I think that's something that's not going to be resolved until we see how they resolve the season and how they resolve this problem is do they have that emotional resonance from their previous lives? And I think, yes, in a certain sense, we've certainly seen that with Archie and Veronica, like last episode, him saying, wow, I felt like I was struck by lightning. That's something that was just a clear reference to when he first met Veronica back in the day as well. But we also get that not to twist it over to something else, but like I was saying earlier with Betty and Archie, where they have, these feelings with each other. Betty talks about having stirrings in this episode for Archie that she doesn't understand, which makes sense for the plot. But also there is that idea of, yeah, maybe she remembers on some sense. We just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I took it. it, This is again, sort of very comic booky where she pines for Archie and Archie's a little bit oblivious, but we've gone full oblivious Archie. Like he's to the point where he's like, mom, can you help me get dressed? I was like, dude, you're a teenager. You're a grown. uh, In the other timeline, he was already like in the military and fighting a gang and stuff. And now he's like, I need help with my clothes. I'm hoping uh, he's going to be turned into bear Archie where he's just kind of like lumbering mm-hmm. around, you know, people are feeding him honey and stuff. Oh man, that would be the best. I would love to see people feed him honey. I yeah. agree. Uh, I, we'll I think we're there. all in agreement there. <laughs> feed him honey, feed Wait, him one, Mr. Honey. Two, three. We <laughs> he agree. agree. Okay. Yeah. I said, what a good feature of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> But I also, I mean, the Barchi stuff I thought was electric in this episode. I thought it was just like, so it got you back into that teenage longing phase of it, where I feel like when we left them, it was a lot of like, will they, won't they, Betty's dealing with her stuff, Archie's, uh, and then they got together and it felt like love, but it reminded me of some of their first, I, you, we'll take questions in a moment, with some of their first scenes when they <laughs> sang that song together uh, back in the day. And it felt so like bright and exciting around me of like falling in love. Oh, and that's what, right. that's what we get here. That's what we get. Not, not to be business guy before you get to it, Pete, I just want to give a brief overview because there's a lot of different plot points that happen here. Yes. But he's jumping short, around all over the place. But the problem is he's got me too worked up where I can't logically not <laughs> comment on what he just said. Before You're like Cheryl up. when she uh, first meets Tony, when she's selling the tickets, when she's like, ah, bah, 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 bah. yeah. So funny. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Uh, but this plot line to talk about it in brief. So Archie wants to ask Veronica to the sock hop. He, she decides to audition a bunch of guys. First, she's like, ah, you can cut a rug, right? You could dance. He's like, yeah, sure. He of course can't dance. So he decides to take, go over to Betty and say, can I get a dancing lesson? They start to catch a little bit of feelings in terms of that dancing lesson before it's broken up by Alice. And then that sends them off into sort of two separate paths where Archie is pursuing Veronica. Uh, ultimately, he ends up at the Pembroke where she is. It, 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 <laughs> there's a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, who cares? We all saw the show. Let's talk about no, how we no, hold the on. Got Jesus Christ, I can sit like, through his monologue. It's Stop. like you don't understand how this podcast works after yeah, yeah. 119 plus episodes, Pete. Plus. Plus, we've done way more than Stop. that. Stop. Are no. you done? No. Just, let's let him finish, Pete. And then- <laughs> I'm almost done. So she auditions a bunch of people. Archie is very uncomfortable about it. Ultimately, what Veronica realizes both through that experience talking to Mary Andrews and also talking to Betty is that she has to go to the sock op by herself. Meanwhile, Betty realizes, oh, wait a second. Maybe I want to go for Archie instead of Kevin, who is being very standoffish and doesn't want to kiss her. She doesn't realize he's gay. We don't have time she... for that right now. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Do, we yeah. do. That's what do. I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff going on here. On, we're going to delve about the more Betty. into to all and of these stuff right now. You, I'm sorry. Stop Pete. recapping the whole thing. He was just talking about one part. Here's the thing, Pete. I understand you're very excited about Barchi catching feelings and Barchi being endgame. Just put it on a shelf for a second, no. and then we'll let right, me finish off what I'm fuck, saying. Fuck you both. Okay, here's my feelings <laughs> on this. You saw Love, which is great, but what yeah. I saw was, was, when, was yeah. when you're young and you don't know what you want yet. You know what I mean? Betty thinks, <laughs> thinks wow. she has feelings for him and maybe and doesn't know what's going on, and that's exciting. The real featherhead attitude over here, uh, but you know what I mean. It's it's you know it's. I feel like there's going to be a different connection when she finally her and Jughead have a moment. You know what I mean? When they're together, and then finally we're going to get some real sparks, and that's when yeah. you're going to really feel like, oh my god. Yeah. I'm saying a cough who, laughter about this. Did this you just who go through be the Barchi in this episode? Is argument for why Buckhead is going to happen? Yep. Yeah. That's the you're most like a, insane thing you've ever said on this podcast. Thank you. You're like thank an you. old Tommy prospector still sifting in the same old creek looking That's for gold. Right. That's uh, right. I'm sorry. Like I will say, and I, I struck gold there once. The last Why not keep going back? You know, you're I mean? gonna get a Buckhead thing next episode, but just based on this episode, like. It is straight up Barchi Sparks flying. And Barchi yeah. clearly in this episode stronger than Varchi, which I still think like there's something there, there's something going on. But what we're getting here with Veronica, at the very least, is her realizing something she realized back in the regular timeline, which is she needs to figure her own shit out before she tries other shit. Well, and I think like I, I'm not trying to be mean when I talk about this Barchi stuff. It is just what was in the episode. Well, you're putting um, on extra stuff. I feel like that's, that's my perception of it the because way I would that argue was filmed. I'm sorry the the close-ups of the hand and yeah. them looking at each other when they're dancing that that's something real. 
I'm yeah, sorry. that's real. I know, I know. And you I'm just going to watch it again. Every like, t- When I close my eyes, I see it. So I just have to blink and it's, I'm right there. And then the scene at the end of the episode where she's walking up to Archie to ask him to the dance. And yeah, Kevin, you had to be like, yes, yes. But then no. I knew I knew we weren't going to get there. And yeah, I, I, I felt that twist coming. And I'm, I'm here for it because like I, it's great dramatically. And like. Because I want to talk about actually sort of the maybe the most electric stuff this episode is between Kevin and Clay or Clavin, yeah. as uh, we're calling them for sure. Clavin, 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 uh, the, <laughs> the most exciting Clavin, new Clavin, relationship Clavin. on the show. But well, let me just to, just to cap yeah. off the, the Betty Veronica stuff. I also like, to, your, to your point, Alex, Veronica is just not good in this episode like that she has all these men fighting over her like literally she does make some gross steps where she realizes Mm -hmm. like oh okay maybe i gotta be a little bit you know this isn't a movie set i can't audition dudes you know however you know she's free to live her life make her choices but she kind of sees a little bit of like maybe i'm going about it the wrong way which is growth for her which is great Definitely. And here's where I think we're missing something um, from a, a production reason that's affected the story. Having Julian in here, this is clearly like supposed to be Reggie, but uh, the actor who plays Reggie, we're saying it wasn't available for the beginning of the season. But like this feels like the classic Reggie role. Mm-hmm. And instead we have Julian in here and it would have been so much more fun with Reggie there because we it's already an established relationship between he and Veronica. He would be able to get after Archie in a way because of just we're more familiar with that character. It would have a little bit more history to it. The Julian stuff feels like he's not a real rival for Archie. He's like, you know, much more unlikable, I think, purposefully so maybe. But he's just a little distant. We don't get a lot of emotion out of him. So I'm definitely missing the what I assume would have been Reggie if um, they had what the if the show had. But yeah, but think about this, though, Justin, if you're a doll that comes to life, you're not going to be, you know, very human. You're going to be a little cold, a little distant. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I was, you know, you know, I was a puppet that was granted life. And so, like, yeah, because you were born in a well, you know, somebody wished you alive. That's right. What a dream. (laughs) Yeah. What a dream. Uh, I will say I I agree with you. I think it makes a lot more sense for Reggie in this role. And like you're saying, I imagine there were production reasons for it. I'll also add I interviewed Nicholas Barash, a very nice guy. I think what I got from him, at least part of it, was like, well, so coming out to the set, his first day was just being that big classroom scene and having to be like, yep, I'm here. I know what I'm doing. And he expressed, he was like, I was terrified when I was doing that. And similarly, <laughs> I also talked to Carl Walcott, who plays Clay, and his first scene, which we'll probably talk about in a second, was the scene of the piano room, where no, it's just like... Great. He didn't even he didn't do a chemistry read with Casey Cott or anything like that. So, like, I, I don't think this is a knock against the production because we've talked to a bunch of the people in the production. And they're phenomenal and doing an incredible job. It's just the speed of what yeah, they're they go doing. Fast. Exactly. Yeah. That they're just throwing people in there. So I am curious to see what happens with Julian as we go forward, because he's definitely going to be here for a while. And I, I do think, again, this is Nicholas hinted a little bit that there are some dark things that are coming for him and some things where it's really his insecurity is the things that are fueling this. So I think once they figure out how to develop him as a character, I think it's going to work a little better. But like you were saying, just in terms of shorthand, Reggie would have made a little more sense here. Uh, but I think Julian's going to live in yeah. the walls for a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, family that would be history. exciting. You know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, everyone, in the wall. you got to do some time in the wall. Yeah. One little thing that I wanted to mention, actually not necessarily a little thing, but just in terms of a couple of acting shout-outs, I think even given all of these things that we're talking about, a lot of the actors are doing some really phenomenal work this season. Yeah. Like Camila Mendez with Veronica, even like you were saying, she does some really reprehensible things here, but Camilla Mendes finds some really wonderful notes to play in the episode. Her scene with Mary at the doorway where Mary just digs. Oh yeah. That was great. Yeah. Great. And heartbreaking her seat at the sock hop, same sort of thing. There's so many different moods that she's playing there. And I was going to give a shout out to the Barchi in particular that I think KJ Appa and Lily Reinhardt in particular are just crushing the innocence of the time in particular. Yeah. Can we, uh, it's so, it's so hard to, as an actor to play the same character in a totally different mindset and commit to that while also giving us the notes of the character that we've already seen so much of. And then they're like, you're saying they're really doing a great job. Yeah. There's a lot of complex layers going on that they're (laughs) pulling off, which is very impressive, (laughs) but I want to get to, you know, something, you know, we talked about maybe Veronica not being on the up and up, but let's, you know, also uh, Archie, it uh, seems like he stole that poem, right? Like he was claiming that that poem was his, but that was his father's, right? I mean, we're all on the same page on that? No. What? When? No. Remember it, when he was like, oh, yeah, your dad had these poems, and then all of a sudden he had this unbelievable poem. Do you think he I mean, wrote first that of himself? All, it seems it like he an unbelievable it. poem. <laughs> I, no, I think the idea here For is Archie, that... Yeah. In regular timeline, Archie is a musician. He's crafting these songs. He's making these songs. Here, he is not a musician, at least not yet. He's this more like a Dr. Seuss. Yeah, exactly. He's putting his art out there. And in this case, pop. his art is poetry. And, you know, even whatever you think about the actual poem, the way that he read it, wrote it, it means something to Betty. It means something to Veronica. And that's the important thing there. Well, clearly it means something to Smithers, who's really sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. Uh, Smithers. I'm going to throw my theory the out of you. Smithers 100% remembers the regular timeline. Like, that's what I got <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his performance. He's like, oh, wow. well, here we are back in the 1950s. Another weird thing that's happened to me. I think I yeah. died maybe at some point. Anyway. The Smithers tapes. He's the one who knows everything. He yeah. hid Jughead's beanie. Yes, Absolutely. Um, all right. Why don't we move on? Because there are two other storylines we need to talk about in particular. The first one, which we already mentioned, Kevin and Clay. We Clavin. get a real introduction to Clavin here through a couple of seeds. Um, great. I'm feeling it. Oh, is yeah. this the season where Kevin finds true love? I think it is. And I think we're going to. It's fine. We've been talking season about it Kevin. since the beginning. Yeah. And here it is. I think this is it. They can't fool us a seventh time, can they? I mean, it was. <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me a third time, shame on you again. Fool me a fourth time, shame on both of us. Fool me a fifth the, time. Right, that's the one where you, where you keep so doing hours of Fool me a fifth yeah, time, on. I'll keep doing a podcast. Uh, we can't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this is great. I felt their chemistry. Pete, what were you going to say? I was going to say uh, him and Betty in the car was kind of funny where he was like, you know, he's like, what are you, a sex addict? Like it was it was like, I, you know, you 
not really laughing at them, but it was kind of, you know, some funny humor and some tense moments. That so whole I, scene, I thought, I was impressed was with it. Is what I'm very, the say. whole scene at Lover's Lane was very fun, starting with Cheryl going around Cheryl and knocking on Oh, my God. Knocking yeah, on everybody's Midge. windows. Trying to, and Midge, Midge and uh, Fangs, another big ship oh, yeah. that we get this episode. Yeah. Adorable. Um, Yes, very fun. Her forcing Midge back to her car and getting her out of Fags, that disgusting greaser's car. And uh, but what a yeah. singer! Sort yeah. of our Elvis. In yeah, a lot of ways. he's not Kevin of the Crooners. That's for but, sure. But there you go. Um, I kind of wanted to see Kevin of the Crooners. They kept talking about them nonstop. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, they have a lot of opportunity for some sort of music battle here, where you got just the old timey music uh, battle. You know, to see that versus Fangs and where they take this sort of greaser side of it, quote unquote, will be interesting. But we will find out in the dark room, the home of bikers, beatniks and badasses. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of quick things to mention about Kevin and Clay that I really liked. The seed of the piano room. I love Or them. in case you're listening at home, he's trying to say piano, but it, he just doesn't. What is your problem with the way that I can't? In case you're just is driving you crazy. Man, nobody's noticing this. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's okay. Piano. I like it gets gets through the word fast. Is that wrong? Piano? That's not. Nah. <laughs> what, what was that? What was yeah, that? Translation Siri all of a sudden was like, I don't know what he's trying to say. <laughs> that guy can't pronounce piano. <laughs> anyway, in whatever room that was, oh, the blocking there where Kevin is just sort of frozen in the room and Clay on his lines, each of his lines, he takes one giant step oh, forward. Yeah. I just thought that's great. Really good. Really nice. And then the same thing in the sock hop where Clay is just so forward with him, but clearly dancing around it. And they're in an era where they can't be like, I'm gay. You're gay. Let's hook up. You know, that he yeah. needs to bounce around this thing was so interesting and so well worded. And then the last thing that I'll say is Clay staring at Kevin when he's dead, dancing with Betty, like, uh, mm. like a stare like that. I don't know. There's something about that. That's just, that's hard to do as an actor and really make it work and feel the heat of it. But you feel the heat there. It's yeah. It, it was great. That it's a hotbed between, uh, with all these relationships that are just all about eye contact right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to the other big one that starts to heat up this episode, which is Shoney. So over the course of the episode, Cheryl is trying to sell tickets to the sock op. Tony basically won't let her. Tony wants fags to play at the sock op, not Kevin and the Crooters. And the those dastardly uh, jerks, the serpents, are going to throw rotten eggs at everybody in the parking lot uh, if they try to go into the sock hop. So ultimately Tony starts to win over Cheryl, thanks to a coffee date at the dark room, which is what the white worm is now. And then ultimately they end up holding hands and dancing at the dance. And it's the most wonderful thing that's ever happened in the history of television up until principal featherhead shuts it down in the most heartbreaking way possible by saying, ah, girls, Girls and boys dancing together. Isn't that nice how it should be? And Cheryl is barely holding it together. So uh, I'll tell you what. I know a lot of people were very worried, and I think rightfully so, about closeting these characters again. But this is another example of, I think, where they're riffing off storylines that happened previously. They're not going to spend as much time on them. They're going to sort of hit the highlights here. But the emotional notes that everybody's playing here in the second episode – 
are so beautiful and heartbreaking and wonderful to watch. Absolutely worth it to me. Well, and I I think like the characters that um, are in danger of being closeted are um, at different points. And like, I feel like with Kevin, it's like he knows he's attracted to men. He just can't do it yet. And I think his the Clavin relationship is really going to bring that out. I think with um, with Cheryl, it's a little bit different. She's sort of seems like she doesn't know what's happening. She's like has to figure it out from, from the beginning. At the uh, table with the tickets where she like asks her dance and she kind of like freaks out and like doesn't know what to do to the transition of them dancing together was just such a journey. It was so lovely and and so nice. Uh, The Shoney time in this episode makes it worth it. It's a great discovery, and it really makes the the feelings and the the love pop so much more when you see Cheryl discovering it, too, and makes Featherhead just such a more awful dangerous villain that you see him lurking and seeing and watching it's it's good maximum impact i feel like is what they're going for and again in terms of the acting i love what everybody's doing here i love that tony is very clearly out and proud but not saying it in a very similar way that clay is not saying it and knows who Cheryl is and know what Cheryl is but is just kind of prodding her and playing with her a little bit And the way Madeline Patch is playing Cheryl as this babbling mess around Tony. Yeah. It's so it's so much fun. Like, it's fun, particularly after we saw the HBIC version of Cheryl in the first episode to see her completely thrown off her game in every single scene with Tony and Tony being the one in charge. It also flips their dynamic from a lot of the previous seasons where. Yeah. Tony was always in the background being like, babe, babe, what do we do, babe? And Cheryl being the one leading the storylines to have Tony now be the one who has the power in the relationship is great. Like I'm loving seeing it. Me too. And it occurs to me, it feels like we have just like a bunch of little rom-coms boiling here um, with like some dramatic undertones and we have the, the whatever's going to come from the, what happens with Ethel at the end. But like it really is like a lot of just will they, won't they is popping at the same time, which is exciting. And I'll just mention as a random shot that I loved, the shot of them reaching out and holding hands with each other. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Like, I I love that they're taking the time to really frame up these shots that are so specific. I think this points to it's uh, Ronald Paul Richard, who was a DP, I think, for a long time. I I, I think I got that wrong. But whatever it is, he's directed the first two episodes. And I think he's really stepped it up in terms of the way things look and the specificity of the shots and the way that they're putting things together. It feels like this bright cheery 50s drama kind of you know versus the legitimate like darkness not just the thematic darkness but the literal darkness of the frame that we've had the past couple of seasons as riverdale has gotten darker darker it's brightened up and it's beautiful and it's fun to look at oh it's gonna get dark don't you worry well, well and speaking of the darkness, yeah, yeah, like Ethel's parents were terrifying in the oh scene. Oh my where, god! Yeah, you know, you see, you feel the pressure that she when she has the meeting at the school, and you know, Featherhead have power over her, and you see her and feel bad for her, but they seem a little do, like doofy as like villains and like the stodgy old dean cliche. But Ethel's parents are scary, and uh, then we go from that to her coming in covered in blood. I mean. I don't know. Hard to say. I feel like 
it depends on how fast and how dark the show's going to get in the next episode. Yeah, but did you want it to be her parents' blood? Were you like, oh, man, I hate her parents. I hope she murdered them. Is that what you're saying? No, I rarely say that. Oh, just in general. Uh, I hope they murder them. (laughs) Uh, But that's what I'm saying. Like, it felt like it could go that way very easily because of how scary they were and how Ethel felt like truly trapped, I think. Well, I think the thing that we're going to kind of get here over the course of the season, or at least these early episodes, because I have no idea how it's going to go beyond that. But we mentioned this earlier. Dr. Werther's is an amalgam amalgam. That's the wrong word, but an analog for Dr. Mm. Wortham. Dr. Wortham is real life. Frederick Wortham. Frederick Wortham, who created this thing called the Comics Code. And the Comics Code, around the same time as we are currently in Riverdale, basically was like, hey, these comics are forcing teens to do terrible things. We need to shut them down. It's not just about a rating, but we need to stop them. And I, what they're heading towards here, not I think, I know what they're heading towards here, is that it is something at least somewhat similar to what they did with Griffin's Gargoyles and the Satanic Panic in season four, three. Season three, three yeah. is the nightmare season. Yeah. Uh, so back there, they were like, yeah, let's take Satanic Panic and Riverdale eyes it here. They're going to use whatever Frederick Worth was shutting down the comics code, comics, ramping people up into murder and killing and all of these other things. You know, they're not going to go one to one, but they're going to find their own Riverdale spin on it as they go forward. And I think, frankly, you know, as a mystery for the season, that is such a smart thing to do for the show that clearly increasingly has owned the fact that it comes from this Archie comic source material for its final season. Yeah. Yeah, I did a report in high school on Frederick Wortham, and uh, that guy was using some, uh, like, very dubious techniques to make his case. It was very, like, sort of McCarthyistic in the way that he just was just trying to push his agenda, anti-comics, like, repressive agenda out into the world. You should find that report and read it here on the podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I can <laughs> do that. Uh, I wonder where I could even look to find that. No yeah, idea. I'm sure it's online at the Library of Congress or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely got all of my reports graded and bagged. Uh, like <laughs> excellent comment. Other notes from the episode that you want to call out in particular? Any other scenes or well, moments I thought, that jumped uh, out at you? It was, uh, you know, I mean, we have Alice here who, you know, Mm. does the whole pin uh, thing for Kevin, which was kind of like the the thing that took Justin's happiness away there for uh, for what could have happened. But uh, I take it it away. It's there. I did like um, how, you know, uh, Betty's mom likes Kevin, you know, and is rooting for Kevin. So even though it's like. Very misguided, and you know, Kevin's got to be who he's. It was nice that the mom was, it seemed like she was trying to be I like, I don't know if she's rooting for Kevin so much as rooting against Archie. Is oh, well, okay. I think she's really rooting to like re- repress Betty mm-hmm. she's trying to control Betty, and she thinks that Kevin, because she clearly understands that she has some control over Kevin, which she does, she gets him, she pushes him to do what he then later does in the episode that does work to keep them together. 
Well, let me ask you a question about this. So in this scene, Alice invites Kevin over, gives him the pin, says it's the actual pin that Mr. Cooper gave her and said that they were in a similar situation where there were some feelings going on that they couldn't really deal with. And when Hal gave her the pin, that really settled things and it was fine and they didn't have to worry about those feelings anymore. Now, we know, of course, that in the regular timeline, Al Cooper... Palace. Yeah, well, in the regular timeline, Hal Cooper is the Black Hood. So my question is, are we talking about that this shut down his murderous urges? Yeah, was that a murder pin? Was he using that pin to murder people and then... No, 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 no. Was (laughs) Was this about like he was feeling these dark, angry, murderous urges? Or in this timeline, is Hal Cooper gay? And that's what she's specifically identifying in Kevin. Oh, interesting. I didn't think of it that way. I took of it as the feeling she was having feelings for for uh, FP or oh, someone okay. like that. And he pinned her and took her away from that world that she is now um, repressed. Okay. So, right. but, but I mean, it could be any yeah, of those yeah. things. Yeah. They got to be a murder pin situation. <laughs> we got to see FP. <laughs> um, other notes, other things you want to oh, call out? Yeah. I, you know, we got um, Veronica calling Archie, Archie Kins. Love the Archie. Uh, it was nice to hear that again. Just uh, uh, Tutti Fruity, obviously such a banger that Midge oh, passed yeah. right out, man, just like crushing it. That song's probably going to be rising on the like, Spotify download list. Like, yeah. top, top uh, what do you think shit? about the fact that Drew Dre Tanner hasn't gotten any lines basically in the first two episodes? That's well, weird, I, right? I think, <laughs> it, well, it, it's just where do you put him? Yeah. What is Fangs now? Because like the way the show's sort of pointing all the relationships, he's sort of on the outside. Right? right. Yeah, it's just it was funny to have scenes where he's just sort of standing there and steering, and that's pretty much it. I, I'm curious I'm curious to see what's gonna happen with him going forward. Like what is his plot line? What's gonna happen with him? I love the stuff with him and Midge. Like we talked about the stuff in the car was fun. Him doing the classic like Elvis grabbing her chin and her fainting. That was another fun, cute moment. So I don't know, but I, I, I that was all fun. I just don't know how he works in this high school group. It was also yeah. nice how they kind of kept this song going for the credits so he could, you know, keep singing. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, thanks. Uh, I thought he uh, killed it in this up. Yeah, He's a fan. We got a Fangs fan. The uh, the the we talked a little bit about the dancing scene with Betty and Archie, but the beginning when Archie doesn't know how to dance that to me felt like straight up KJ Appa being like, "Oh, I'm doing a funny dance," and that was pretty much it. Not necessarily Archie, so that was fun. But it's hard to tell, you know, what the Archie performance. What is that truly drawing from? Are they just like pushing him out on the stage being like, all right, be a complete baby and yeah. everything. The uh, both of the scenes with Dilton where he was oh, buying yeah. tickets, very fun, where Tony first uh, where Tony bullies him and his line, mostly that scary Tony girl. That was very fun. Yeah. Um, I liked we talked about this earlier, but the dark room churn, changing the white worm into a coffee shop. That is still underground, but also somehow overground. Very interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I got to see the architectural drawings for that one. Yeah. And there was one other thing that I wanted to mention, but I don't remember what it is. 
So never mind. There you go. We're just gonna like whisper the word Shoni over and over again into the mic. Yeah, Shoney. we're just gonna Shoni. That's another a new segment on the show, right? Yeah. Man, just... it's all happening though. It's all ASMR. All of our dreams. <laughs> yeah. All of our... our dreams are happening. No one's dreams are being crushed. That's all yep. we can say here. There you go. Uh, all right. Why don't we talk about MVP for the episode? Pete, who was your MVP? God, we'll give it to uh, Ethel on this one. She was killing mm. it. It was uh, it was heartbreaking, Liter- but it was also literally maybe. Yeah, it was. I was just uh, really impressed with her art and it was great to see her back and in, in, in action. Justin, what about you? I uh, let's do a full reset on our on this podcast too. I'll go back to my roots and just say Betty all day air day because uh, <laughs> Betty is just great stuff happening here. Great to see you going through the journey and the Barchi stuff was very nice. Man, it's really tough actually because I think everybody is doing a really good job here. Obviously, I loved the Shoney stuff. I thought yeah, Adam, I mean, Patch and Vanessa Morgan were doing a great job. But I want to give a shout out to KJ Appa. We didn't really talk about the moment where he has a little bit of that old Archie anger almost comes out, both yeah. at Julian when Julian does that harrowing moment where he insults his dad's suit and he's like oh, oh yeah. i thought your dad would have been buried in that oh, suit and that was awful oh. awful like just twists my heart up when i hear that and then him going out to the garbage can and crumpling up the poem and throwing it out there i i don't know i think he's doing a good balancing job of keeping those notes of the old archie in this new more earnest archie which i think is very interesting Agreed. Now, do you think when Veronica chose that many men, was she really like, is it sort of feels like sort of like the bachelor style, the mm-hmm. bachelorette? I mean, where it's like you choose a couple losers in there, too, because like, do you think she's like all of these 50 men or however many were there are potential dates for her? Well, she was saying, scale? I mean, I know you're making a joke, but she was saying that, like. None of them were potential dates. She was all keeping them on the line just to kind of have the fun of the game. But yeah, obviously. Too many. You can have the fun of the game with like four. Julian and Archie had lines, and that was pretty much the the rest of the guys were like, So what's going on here? Are we getting paid for this evening? (laughs) What's happening? And that is it. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Riverdale. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live, excuse me, at Riverdale Dark on Twitter, Riverdale After on Instagram, Riverdale After Dark on Facebook, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast, and many more. Until next time, we'll see you after dark! <laughs> hey! DJs, if this season goes as barchy as I think it's going to, I think Pete's going to murder pin me. Yeah! yeah. One, two, three, we We agree. agree. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.